0: Good evening and welcome to our Thursday night class. Tonight is Thursday night, October 7th, 2021. It is such a great pleasure for me to be able to be together with you tonight, and I'm grateful to every one of you for joining for our study tonight. Shemitah, the sabbatical year, which is this current Jewish year, starting this past Rosh Hashanah until next Rosh Hashanah, which means that in the land of Israel, we don't do any planting or harvesting. And what does grow is shared equally by everyone. We've been studying Shemitah for the last couple of weeks. It was observed the way that I've described it so far in the last two meetings that we've had during the Bayasheni, the second temple period, from the time of the destruction of the second temple about 2,000 years ago, it was not observed. First of all, there has been no significant Jewish agriculture in Israel up until the 1800s. That entire period of maybe about 1,700 years, there was no significant Jewish agriculture in Israel. And that includes, by the way, in the 1500s when there was a significant Jewish community both in Jerusalem and in the north in Sfat, but they were largely not involved in agriculture. So Shemitah had no one to observe it even until we get to the mid-1800s when religious Jewish farmers tried to observe Shemitah in Israel. They tried to observe it fully. Again, according to the rules that we've discussed. Those Jews were very, very poor and they were living under extremely harsh conditions. And in fact, Nebuch, several children died of hunger from Jews trying to observe Shemitah. And so they needed a solution so the first thing that I want to mention the first question that comes up is what is the status of the mitzvah to observe Shemitah in our day is it derisa a biblical obligation if it's a biblical obligation that means it's binding on all Jews in Israel for all time and that also means that even if there is difficulty that's it. It's difficult to keep Shabbos. It's difficult to keep kosher sometimes, but we have to do it. Or possibly is the requirement today only a rabbinic obligation because there's no base of There's no temple in Jerusalem. The other agricultural laws are not in full application as well and if it is derabanan a rabbinic obligation well when the rabbis legislated their rules they legislated with accommodation for extraordinary circumstances such as for example god forbid a threat to life or a threat to health or significant financial harm and in fact most rabbinic authorities believe that the status of Shemitah since the destruction of the temple is only a rabbinic law. When I say only, I don't mean that it's any less important. Rabbinic laws are just as important to us as biblical laws, but they are legislated differently, allowing for more accommodation. So, in 1889, which was a Shemitah year, the Jews in Israel asked the greatest scholars of the world about a proposal for an accommodation that would allow working the land during Shemitah. And the solution that they thought of was could we sell the land of Israel to a non-Jewish person for the entire year? And if we sell it, then it doesn't belong to us. If it doesn't belong to us, then we should be able to work the land in the employ of the non-Jewish owner. Now, the first issue to face is, well, hold on a second. If the issue is threat to life because of hunger by people who are trying to observe this law, go back to Europe. You could you could be able to subsist outside of Israel. So, underlying any discussion we have about Shemitah and in the background of all of the arguments and legal controversy that we're going to study tonight is an ideological question. And that is how to consider the concept of tovas ha'aretz, enabling the Jewish settlement of the land of Israel. Is that a very important obligation, Jews settling the land of Israel? In which case, we're going to have to find some accommodation to allow for Jews to be able to remain in Israel, even though it's Shemitah? Or is that not such a high priority? In which case, we would say that a rabbinic obligation to observe Shemitah should not be set aside because of hardship. You're worried about hardship? go somewhere else. That ideological debate, just keep that in the background of everything we're going to discuss tonight. So in 1889, the Jews asked the greatest scholars of the Jewish people, both in Israel and in Europe, about this idea for a heter, a leniency, based on two suppositions, that the obligation is rabbinic, not biblical, And that there is a situation of possible threat to life, certainly economic ruin for the Jews who were living there at that time. Similar to selling chametz on Pesach, which is something that we're familiar with. We're not allowed to own chametz on Pesach. So we have the practice that we sell it to a non-Jewish person for the week of Pesach doesn't belong to us, so therefore we have not violated the law. Similarly, we'll sell the land of Israel to a non-Jewish person, and it will not belong to us, and we will not violate the law by working it during the Shemitah. And if that is the case, then there's no limit to the work that we can do on the land. We It is not ownerless. We don't need to share it openly and equally with everyone. And there's no sanctity to what grows on it. So export is permitted. There is no limit on how it can be used or for what it can be used. All of the restrictions that apply that we discussed last week that would apply based on the laws of Shemitah would not apply if this leniency was ruled to be valid. Some rabbis approved of this. Rabbi Yitzchak Kalkan Inspector, the Kovner Rav, two of the greatest authorities in Jewish law at the time, approved of this leniency, the heter mechira, the leniency of selling the land. Some rabbis opposed it. Rabbi Yisrael Diskind, Rabbi Shmuel Salant, interesting, the two of them were the greatest rabbis in Jerusalem at the time. So it's interesting that among the greatest rabbis in Europe, they permitted this. And among the greatest rabbis in Israel, who you would think they are seeing firsthand the difficulty, they prohibited it. So let's look first at the controversy. What were the issues involved and the arguments on both sides of whether to allow or disallow this heter mechira, this leniency of selling the land? Well, first of all, a reason to allow it, let's compare it to selling hametz, as I mentioned before. However, the rabbis who opposed this held that the Comparison is not an apt comparison. In Jewish law, to sell something requires two things. It requires a kinyan, which is an act of acquisition, and gemiras das, a meeting of the minds that I actually want to sell it and you actually want to buy it. Now, for chametz on Pesach, I want to sell it. Because I don't want to own chametz on Pesach because the Torah prohibits it. So there is a meeting of the minds. The seller wants to sell and the buyer wants to buy. But concerning the land of Israel for the entire year of Shemitah, is it correct to say that we want to sell the land of Israel? No, we don't want to sell the land of Israel. We're doing it because we're trying to avoid some prohibition, but there is lacking a meeting of the minds in the legal sense. We don't want to sell the land of Israel. And furthermore, the comparison is not apt, say those who oppose the sale, because on Pesach, I sell the chametz to a non-Jew. I put it away. I don't have any contact with it. I'm not holding it. I'm not looking at it. I'm not, certainly not using it. I have no contact with it. So the idea that I've sold it to someone else makes sense. I have no connection to it. Until after Pesach is over, I'm going to buy it back. Okay. But the Shemitah, the idea is I'm selling it. We're we're selling the land of Israel to a non-Jew, but we're continuing to work it. We're continuing to plant and to prune and to water and to fertilize and to harvest, just that we're doing it with a different owner but we're still remaining connected to the land of Israel and we're working the land of Israel. The whole point of what the Torah wants is not to work the fields of Israel, but we're doing that. So how can the sale be valid? There's a more serious problem. And that is to question the assumption on which this leniency is based. There's a dispute in the Gemara, in the Talmud, about whether land in Israel that is owned by a non-Jewish person, owned by a non-Jewish person outright, permanently, whether that creates a situation where the obligations of Jewish agriculture do not apply. For example, the obligation to separate miser. Tithing, to take 10% and give it to the poor. Does that apply to fields that belong to a non-Jewish person? Well, on the one hand, the non-Jewish person is certainly not obligated. But on the other hand, maybe the obligation is on the fields, on the land, on the earth itself. That issue is unclear. It's disputed in the Talmud. The Ramba Maimonides' ruling is ambiguous. And in the 1500s, it was the subject of a great dispute. Rav Yosef Cairo, who authored the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law, held that non-Jewish ownership is valid ownership and there is no obligation. But Rabbi Moshe Mitrani, who was another great scholar living in Israel at the time, disagreed vigorously with Rabbi Cairo. And they argued bitterly about this subject. Now, that question is whether Shemitah would apply to land owned outright permanently by non Jews in Israel. The heter mechira, the idea of selling the land, goes a step further than that because it suggests selling the entire land of Israel to a to one non-Jewish person for one year with the understanding that after the Shemitah is over, we're going to buy it back. So that goes a whole lot further than discussing what's the status of a field that is in the permanent ownership of a non-Jewish person, whether Shemitah will apply. However, If that doesn't work to begin with, the whole foundation of the idea doesn't even apply. So the first question that we need to discuss is, does it even help to sell to a non-Jewish person for the year? Does that create a situation where a Jewish person is allowed to work in that field to plant and to harvest? And that's a disputed issue. Those who oppose the sale say the whole premise of selling the land is inapplicable because even if you arranged a valid sale, it still is obligatory to observe the laws of Shemitah on the fields in Israel. Those who allow for the leniency held, no. The sale works and it creates a situation where the laws of Shemitah do not apply and therefore a Jewish person can work the field. That's a debate. There's an even more serious problem. And that is another passage in the Talmud discusses the fact that it is prohibited for a Jewish person to sell any land in Israel to a non-Jewish person. The Torah says lo which we translate is as do not give any foothold of ownership of land to a non-Jewish person in the land of Israel. So, if the action itself is prohibited, to use the metaphor of the netziv, one of the great rabbis of Israel who opposed the sale, with this so-called leniency, you're fleeing from a wolf and you're falling into a den of lions. You are creating a prohibition by trying to effect this leniency. Not only does it not work, it's prohibited to do it. Those who allow the sale disagree. Either they hold that the prohibition does not apply to any non-Jew. It only applies to an idolater, someone who worships idols, which is actually the context of the verse in the Torah. It's talking about idolaters. So, to a non-Jewish person who's not an idol worshiper, the prohibition does not apply. That's number one. Or, perhaps, the prohibition in the Torah of selling the land only applies to a permanent sale. Here, where the whole idea is, I'm selling the land for one year, but after that I'm going to purchase it back, then, Lo would not apply. The prohibition of selling the land would not apply. Another point is the prohibition of selling the land is in order to enable Jewish settlement of the land of Israel. In our case, selling the land of Israel for the year actually serves the goal of enabling permanent settlement of the land of Israel. It's ironic, but that's what we need to do in these circumstances. So maybe it's not a violation if it seeks the same goal of enabling settlement in the land of Israel. Okay, it's a disputed issue. It's been disputed for over a hundred years. Practically speaking, every Shemitah year, including this year, the chief rabbis of Israel have arranged the Machira, the sale of the land of Israel, They actually arrange it with a Muslim man who is not an idolater. There's a question about whether Christianity is involved with Avodah Zarah, but it's clear that Islam is a monotheistic religion, and therefore the majority of Jews in Israel rely on the Heter Mechira, the sale of the land of Israel. And with the Heter Mechira, there's no problem. There are no limits. There's no sanctity to what grows in the land of Israel. There's no prohibition to export it. Everything goes as normal. The question we have to ask is, is the basis for the leniency still applicable today? It's one thing in the 1880s where Nebuch actually it's so terrible to say Jewish children died of hunger. That was literally life and death. But 2021, with the GDP that Israel has, to say that there's, there's certainly no f- possible threat to life or health, but the, to say that the economic impact would be so grave as to allow setting aside a rabbinic obligation... Is it, is it accurate to say that there is still a shah an extraordinary difficulty? Well, that's a question. And so even though the original leniency was controversial, it has become even more so in our day with the question of even if you granted that the original sale had validity, is it still valid to repeat the sale today? It's an issue of controversy. There is another approach. And this approach is known as Otzar Bezdin, the collection of Betin, of the Jewish court. And what it means is as follows. According to the laws of Shemitah, everything that grows is like Hefker. It's like it's ownerless. It's got to be shared equally. Well, what the court can do, a bezdin, a Jewish court can do, is step in and say, we are taking control of everything that is ownerless. A Jewish court has the right to do that. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to take control of everything that grows from those farmers that participate in our enterprise, we will pay the farmers' and the workers' wages to work for us, the Besdin. We will pay the expenses of planting and harvesting, and then we will distribute it at a price that only serves to reimburse for the expenses we have expended. This would only allow certain kinds of work. It would allow for harvest, and the owners of the field would not be harvesting as owners. They would be harvesting as employees of the Bezdin. The food that is harvested would have kedushas chevis the sanctity of the produce of the Shemitah year, which limits the ability to export it. We discussed that last week. And the Besdin will be paying expenses, but not profit. So workers will still earn a wage. Owners will get something for their crops, but less than they would have ordinarily gotten, but something. The cost to the consumer Theoretically, should be lower, because the bezdin is operating on a non-profit basis. Now, not all halakhic authorities agree that this system works, but more authorities agree to this system than to the leniency of selling the land. Okay, that's a second route. There are alternatives. purchasing crops from non-Jewish owners in Israel, for example, in Gaza or the West Bank. Remember, we discussed that's an issue of dispute between Rabbi Yosef Cairo and Rav Matrani, but that is a more evenly divided controversy than the idea of selling the entire land of Israel to one non-Jewish person just for the year intending to buy it back. Or, purchase fruits and vegetables from outside of Israel, from Jordan, or Europe. Import what you need. Or, Fruits and vegetables from those parts of the land of Israel that are not subject to the laws of Shemitah. Remember, we discussed this last year. The area around Elat, at least the northern part of the Golan Heights, a couple of other areas might not be subject to the laws of Shemitah. We can use fruits and vegetables that are grown there. Or, remember, we discussed the opinions that hold, many opinions hold, if fruits and vegetables would be grown not connected to the earth, hydroponics in a greenhouse, it's not connected to the earth, that would be permitted. Now, there are no halachic problems with importing produce or buying from non-Jews who are living in Israel. I mean, it's subject to controversy, but it's certainly undermines the essence of Zionism. And so we're going to return to this subject of tovas ha'aretz. Would we even consider doing something to allow us to live here in Israel that diminishes the settling, the Jewish settling of the land of Israel? Practically speaking, in Israel this year, the majority of religious Jews rely on Heter Mechira, the chief rabbinate's sale of the land of Israel, though that is hotly disputed. A minority of religious Jews will rely on Otsar Bezdin, the distribution of the betin, or Arab-owned land in Israel or fruits and vegetables imported from outside of Israel. Those last two areas, which are very, very controversial, mostly are used by the Haredi world in Israel. And that is a a source of anger of the rest of the Israeli population towards the Haredi world for supporting the Arab population, supporting, importing fruits and vegetables from outside of Israel. It is a very, very hot and divisive topic this year as it has been every Shemitah year. My personal opinion, what I personally practice, I hope to practice, I hope to be in Israel this year, At some point and what i would recommend to anyone is i prefer to make use of fruits and vegetables through the Otsar bezdin system however my halachic opinion is that the Mechira, the sale of the land of israel is a valid sale according to jewish law and i make use of it as needed for myself and i would recommend that to others as well. But here's a practical question. What about the kashris organizations in North America? What about us here in Montreal? Are we allowed to use fruits and vegetables that were harvested in Israel this year? is the heter hetermehira valid for us here in Montreal? Well, let's ask the following question. The basis of allowing for the leniency, and let's remember it's a leniency that's based on extenuating circumstance. Well, can anyone really say that we here in Montreal have an extenuating circumstance to have to use Israeli fruits and vegetables? No one's going to go hungry. No one's going to have any need. And therefore, based on that, all of the major kashrus organizations in North America, the MK, the OU, all of the major kashrus organizations in North America, do not rely on the heter mechira. Because for us in North America, it's not an extenuating circumstance. And that leads to the ironic situation that you will hear and see the cautious organizations, the MK, the OU, etc., will say, will recommend, do not purchase Israeli produce this year because of the laws of Shemitah. I shared this story with some of you before and it's worth repeating. I heard this story from Rabbi Herschel Schachter. Years ago, there was a rabbi in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem who was the head of a girl's seminary and before each Shemitah year, he would go to Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Orbach, who was the greatest halachic authority at that time And he would ask the question, I have a school for girls. They come from all over the world. They're here in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem this year. Should I rely on the hetermechira, on the leniency of selling the land to allow my students to be able to eat from the fruits and vegetables from Israel? Should I rely on the hetermechira? And every time this rabbi would come to Rabbi Orbach. Rabbi Orbach would say, tell the girls to be strict and not to rely on the leniency. Nonetheless, every Shemitah, every seven years before the Shemitah year, this rabbi would come to Rabbi Shlomo Zaman as a sign of respect and ask the question again. And Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Orbach would give the same answer. Tell the girls to be stringent, not to rely on the leniency. Finally, Before one Shemitah year, this rabbi came, he asked the same question, and this time Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Arbach said, tell the girls they can rely on the leniency, it's okay, the hetemahira is valid. So the rabbi asked Rabbi Shlomo Zaman, what happened? (laughs) What happened since the last Shemitah? Every time I've asked you the exact same question and you gave me a different answer, what, what's changed in this Shemitah year that you're telling me it's okay to rely on, this, on the leniency? Roshlomo said to him, what changed is that since the last Shemitah year, my wife passed away. If I were to tell people that you can rely on the leniency of the chief rabbis of selling the land, some who oppose that position vehemently, they would break my windows. Now, I'm a POSIC, Roshlomo Zaman said. I am a halakhic authority. People come to me, and it's my job to answer their questions, and it's my job, part of my job, to bear the responsibility of the consequences of what I decide. But I can't impose that on my wife. If I were to issue a ruling and because of that, my wife were to suffer because people are going to come and break my windows, I can't take that responsibility. So while my wife was alive, the answer that I gave to people who came to ask me that question is, be stringent. And I gave that answer so that my wife would not face any harm. Once she passed away, it's only me. So I'm willing to suffer the broken windows of the people who disagree with what I say. And therefore I'm going to say what I believe is the actual halacha, and that is that the sale is valid. However. I want to share with you a very important article that was written by Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein of Blessed Memory. He writes that every Shemitah year, we discuss the rules, the controversy, we go through the opinions, We talk about the leniencies. The simple fact is that the Shemitah constitutes a halachic tragedy. It's not pleasant to hear this, but it's the truth. And there's no escaping it. Because let's consider what the Shemitah is supposed to be. Let's remember what we discussed last week and the week before. Shemitah has a lot of details of law, but it also has values. The values of Shemitah are the Shabbat of the land of Israel for the whole year, which means that we're able to recognize and be aware of God's ownership and authority over the entire earth. Shemitah is supposed to liberate the farmers so that they can attend to more spiritual endeavors for a year out of every seven. Shemitah is supposed to close the gap between wealthy and poor, to give people a second chance. What remains of that lofty vision today? First of all, the overwhelming majority of the inhabitants of the land of Israel have moved from an agricultural economy to an industrial economy. So the application of planting and pruning and fertilizing and watering and harvesting really only applies to a small minority of the population. And for the rest of us, what are the options? The options are a legal fiction that and I'm quoting now woe to the ears that hear this that the fields of the land of Israel from Lebanon to Egypt and from the Mediterranean to the Jordan have been sold or leased to non-Jews. I have no intention of questioning the halachic validity of this sale. Let's assume that those who permitted this were right in doing so. It is the phenomenon itself that should shock us. Because once we've done this, how can we even recognize the Shemitah as being connected to the concept of ki li haaretz, the verse that we quoted before. God says, because the land belongs to me. How do we even recognize that in the face of this leniency of selling the land? How do we even see in the land of Israel, in the face of this leniency, the idea that man is subservient to a creator, to God? I'm quoting again, Rav Don't get the wrong impression. I'm not criticizing those who rely on the leniency of selling the land. And I don't criticize the chief rabbinate for implementing this. If I had the job of chief rabbi, I would probably do the same that they have done. There is no alternative. And that's the tragedy. There is no way today to be able to retain settlement in Israel and observing the Shemitah as it's meant to be done. Let me take a parenthesis and share a metaphor that I think conveys the idea that Rev Lichtenstein wants to convey. Here's a metaphor. The metaphor of of observing Shabbos. We observe Shabbat, the many rules, the details. A person says, you know what? I have difficulty being able to observe all the rules and details of Shabbat. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a pill that will enable me to sleep for 25 hours. I'm just going to sleep. If I'm sleeping for 25 hours from Friday afternoon till Saturday night, I have not violated Shabbos. All my problems are solved. Yes, that is technically true, but would anybody suggest that you have retained any significant meaning of the grandeur and the beauty of what Shabbos means by simply avoiding it, by taking some kind of pill, by being unconscious? Yes, you did not technically violate any rule of Shabbos, but would anybody say that that's a satisfactory way to negotiate the problem. Coming back to Shemitah, the reality is there is no satisfactory solution. It's entirely possible to accept the leniency, but can anyone embrace it? We also take medicine, Rabbi Lichtenstein says, but we don't say a bracha on it. We don't pretend it's candy. We don't pretend it tastes good. Perhaps there is really is no alternative. But that's the problem. There's no alternative. This is the halachic tragedy. We're forced to choose between two values, letting the land rest, and the economic requirements of a state, which are also important. We've got to sacrifice one for the other. Shemitah has become a victim. And its total failure diminishes all of us. We're not so much observing Shemitah as avoiding its observance. And he writes in conclusion, I do not see any way of improving this situation in the foreseeable future, but at least let us feel the pain of it. We have to make use of the leniencies. Nebuch but at least let's admit our failure. Let's at least regret it and hope that God will provide one day what is missing. It's a very important understanding and approach. But I do want to suggest to you, while fully recognizing the halachic tragedy of Shemitah today, as Rav Lichtenstein clearly delineates for us. I want to insist to you that there is much Shemitah that we can benefit from and we can utilize this year for this year and going forward in our lives. And that's what I plan to discuss with you the next time that we meet, which will be two weeks from tonight. But I want to start with this. I have a peace plan for Israel and its Arab neighbors. It is feasible. It is practical. It could work. It is very controversial. But it would be a tragedy not to even try. So I want to share with you my peace plan for Israel. We reviewed tonight the challenges of observing Shemitah in Israel in our day. The controversy over the solutions. But there's another part of this that I alluded to, and that is the political dimension to Shemitah, because there is a solution, a valid halachic solution to the Shemitah problem. I mentioned it before. It is being used by a small segment of the Israeli population today, very controversial. It's controversial in terms of Jewish law and much more controversial in terms of politics. And that is as follows. The halachic controversy about the mechira, the leniency of selling the land to one non-Jew for the year is the controversy we discussed. But what about crops that are grown on land that actually belongs permanently to non-Jews? Now, I know the first thing I'm going to hear is don't even think about it. It's tremendously controversial. The idea of getting through Shemitah by relying primarily on Arab-owned land in Israel, many people would just say, that's infuriating. How could you even Consider such a thing. Forget about the halakhic issues, but just nationalistic issues, political issues. How could you even suggest such a thing? To support the Arabs in Gaza? To support economically the Arabs in the West Bank by buying crops from them? To even consider such a thing is crazy. It's insane. But as I mentioned to you, it is happening already. There are thousands of farmers in Gaza, in the West Bank, who are participating in selling their produce to Jews in Israel today. And they can expect about a 35% premium over what they normally get from their crops. So here's my plan. I recognize everyone's on mute, so I can't listen to anyone who's yelling at me what a terrible idea this is. But here's my plan. Shemitah is a mitzvah in the Torah with a wildly optimistic goal. The perfection of society, equality, no rich and no poor, the revelation of the full splendor of divine light. We have to admit that those goals sound unrealistic to us. They sound naive, utopian. But that's the mitzvah that God commanded us, which we take seriously. Sadly, in our day for the time being, we have to give up the ability to achieve those goals. It's not possible. But what if, As we sadly give up for now on those unrealistic goals, we focus on another goal. No less utopian, but certainly no more so. No less naive, but certainly no more so. The goal of the political transformation of Israeli society let's use Shemitah as an opportunity to purchase in large amounts from Arabs in Gaza and the West Bank who will agree to certain security conditions in exchange for enormous economic advantage in a way that at least has a chance of leading to peace. Because I think it is objectively reasonable, not guaranteed, but it's reasonable, that if there is any chance of peace in Israel at any time, the best chance is to create a situation of economic self-interest for peace. In fact, the Israeli government is doing that right now. Shemitah, can be the impetus to take that to the next level because already Israel spends millions of dollars to support segments of the population that would be economically impacted by Shemitah. In the last Shemitah year, the Israeli government spent $30 million supporting Haredim, who would be suffer financial hardships in Shemitah. Here's my suggestion. Forget about 30 million dollars. Let's take 100 million dollars. I have no idea the figures. Let's take 200 million dollars and let's support Arab farmers to feed Israelis in an effort to create peace. Yes, this will negatively affect farmers, is Jewish Israeli farmers, this year and in the future, potential loss of market share. Yes. And I don't in any way minimize the impact that this will have on the individuals who are affected. But the reality is that farming today is a tiny fraction of the Israeli economy. Imagine if we made a decision to hand off, to hand off, to sacrifice a portion of our agricultural economy in exchange for peace. It's utopian, unrealistic, naive, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe it's no more far-fetched than the original Torah visioner Shemitah, And just imagine for one moment, if an advance in peace in Israel was actually achieved through a mitzvah. Imagine what that would mean for Judaism and for Jews everywhere. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if it just might work and we don't even try? There's a great movie, The Princess Bride. I'm sure many of you have seen it. And there's a great line, a famous line in that movie. I have been in the revenge business for so long. Now that it is over, I do not know what to do with the rest of my life. Here's the beauty of the Whitman peace plan. There's very little risk, and there's no danger. It's just money and vegetables. What if we tried to do something else with the rest of our lives in Israel? And what if it came from Shemitah? Consider it. That's just one proposal of how to utilize Shemitah in a monumental way that would be applicable and relevant to every single one of us. There are a number of other benefits and values to Shemitah for every one of us, wherever we are. And this is what I plan to discuss with you the next time that we meet, which will be two weeks from tonight, October 21st. My friends, I want to wish you a great night and a wonderful Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.